Sinny, he can fuss. Fuss, fuss. Think he like to scream at us? Probably he means no harm. He's very, very short on charm. You have a great gift for Ryan. Yes, yes. Some of the time. Enough of that! Percy, are there rocks ahead? If they are, we all be dead. No more rhymes now, I mean it! Anybody want a peanut? Yeah! So what brings us here today, Andrea? Well, we're all sick in bed. And, um... Someone's trying to tell us a romance story. But they've promised that there's revenge and death and sword fights. So we're like, okay, I can get with this. And then sometimes uh, smooches happen, and we don't like that. We don't like the smooching. Mm -hmm. Smooching is a no-no. Gross. Uh, well, that's not actually what I was thought. I thought you were going to go with. I was hoping you were going to go with Mowage. Mowage oh, is God. what brings us together <laughs> today. You know, if you want me to say a specific thing, you can tell me before we start recording. No, it's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I prefer when you don't anticipate what I want and you pick something else and then I shit on you for it. That's what I'm I want out of this podcast. shitting on you for it. I'm just, I was just really hoping you would, I'm just like, what brings us here, Andrea? <laughs> Uh, but Fuck. you know, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> oh, so if, so for those that don't know, we're here for Mowage, and the greatest love story ever told, which is the Princess Bride, written by William Goldman, not William Golding, who wrote Lord of the Flies. I usually get their names mixed up. So if I say William Talking Golding, white people names. Yeah, if I get if I say William Golding <laughs> during this episode, uh. I apologize, I am not talking about the writer of Lord of the Flies. But we're talking about William Goldman, the man who wrote Princess Bride, and is also famous for writing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, Very William fun. Gold yeah, William Goldman's probably more known for his screenplays than he is for his novels, but um, as he said in, in the book, he always pictures himself more as a novelist than a screenwriter. And this is going to be an interesting episode because I know you listened to the audio, uh, the audible version. And I am still confused by the audible version because uh, so where does the audible start? Does it start at the at like basically the book is starting or does it start with um so because because in the book uh or i mean when i say the book is starting i meant like you know the princess bride because the book is basically a meta story um for those that oh, don't know so it starts with like a sort of foreword where the author's talking about how this story was read to them as a child and mm -hmm. um he wanted to tell the snazzier version, leaving out the extra randomness and just tell the fun parts. And see, it's hard because Michael and I realized the audible version 
might have cut some stuff out that's in the book print version. That's and it's hard to compare out. because... <laughs> yeah, but it's hard to compare because Michael didn't listen to the Audible and I haven't read the book print version, so we don't know what's missing. <laughs> yeah, so this is just going <laughs> to so be that's a fun. Weird, Yeah, this is going to be a weird fucking episode because I don't know what... Because, like, I, I, I was on, like... I went to go visit my parents, and on the trip back, I was like, you know, I'm going to listen to the Audible where I left off from the book so I can, you know, utilize this time. And I was, like, at a very specific point, and I realized it was different because it cut out all this backstory that's in the book about a specific, about a specific character, um, Fezzik. Uh, that, it was at that point in the story, and I was like, what the fuck's going on? It just skipped this whole section, and I know it's in there because I was literally just started this section, but it, it but it jumped past it, and so called you up, and I was like, "What the fuck's going on? Tell me you read the book and didn't listen to the audible." And unfortunately, you listened to the audible, but it's not your fault. It's uh, audible. It's society's being... fault. Yeah, fuck you, Audible, owned by Amazon. <laughs> Wait, no, hey. no, they might want to sponsor us one day. <laughs> Maybe if you sponsor us, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know, go a little better on you guys. But really, like, what the fuck? The book's like four hundred pages, but the audible's somehow two out, like, under three hours long, and which makes yeah. no sense, especially when like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was it's like a two hundred page book and it was over four hours. So. Well, yeah. and I have to say though. Mm-hmm. Where I am grateful, even though I would love to know Fezzik's backstory, and I'm looking forward to you telling me about it, it was nice to be laying in bed, having the story told to me. It was very uh, realistic, you know? I, mm-hmm. I could feel like I was in the narrator's shoes. Like Except you were who wears shoes in bed? What kind of savage? Like you, were anyway. a sick, like you were a sick boy who was related to Corey Matthews from Boy Meets World. Does that mean I have Mr. Feeney as a neighbor? Because that would be cool. I don't know, but uh, in case th- anyone doesn't know, the boy who plays uh, the, I guess, the I don't even know if he has a name in the movie, but um, plays the boy is the actor who plays Corey Matthews in Boy Meets World's older brother in real life. I did so. not know. Yep. That's the reason why it he looks so sense. much like young Corey Matthews. He does. They have the same hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Connections. Yeah. Which I don't think connects to Harry Potter, but it's all right. We're going to start doing connections to Boy Meets World. No, but I have a Harry Potter connection this week, so stop that. Oh, shit. All right. Anyways. <laughs> um, so, yeah. the, the like so, so, we're going to get into this and see. It's going to be interesting talking about this with you because we have i guess slightly different versions but so the book like uh, for uh, most people probably have seen the movie it's a cult film became popular when it came out on vhs because it did it did sort of well in the box office but it really didn't pick up in popularity till after it came out on vhs so as as people know with the movie it's it's a it's a grandpa reading the book to his grandson and while he's sick but the book version it's sort of a a weird me- meta commentary about 
William Goldman have having to adapt this other guy's writing that was read to him by his father when he was younger and this is and he's the only person that remembers this book and so he's the only person that's able to um re rewrite it down since all the copies went missing i don't think i can't remember exactly what he said with it but and so like literally like the first part of the book uh everything is just basically building up this whole point of this is not my book i he 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 even because he even, apparently like he wrote a book when he was 25 but he basically says it's complete shit and I don't know if in the Audible it, he talks about that they talk about that or not, but he's like, yeah, this book that I wrote that when I was twenty five was fucking horrible. Um, and so he sort of makes fun of himself during this section, and it, it builds up for like thirty pages or so. And as someone who read this as a kid, uh, I'm not gonna lie, it uh, not the best part of the book is this whole build up because you're not fully fucking understanding it as a kid. And it's it's better as an adult, even though I don't know. It's the best parts, of course, are the actual story of the Princess yeah. Bride. So the book is the book is a meta commentary about fairy tales, and William Goldman hates fairy tales, but he did write this book for his two daughters. Fun fact. Aww. He uh, he asked them what what kind of story he should write and one said princess one said a book about a princess and one said a book about a bride so he combined the <laughs> two and that's how we got the title that's fantastic mm-hmm. so yeah where would you like to start with this andrea well i mean i'm assuming most people are aware of it so we don't need to summarize too much but right i'll have to say so they're very similar and apparently that's because rob reiner who directed it got together with Goldman and they worked on the screenplay together Mm -hmm. and there were some really funny so I was looking up stuff about the movie and there's some really funny things that are related to the casting of it because they knew they wanted I don't know how to say the name right but Carrie L. Elwes? Elwes? Yeah I've never been able to pronounce his name well but I believe it's uh, Carrie Elwes Elwes or Elwes Sorry Sorry Carrie (laughs) I know you're listening, so, you know, I apologize. But they knew they wanted him to play Wesley early on, and they actually hadn't casted the Princess Bride up until pretty late, and uh, they had tried out some different actresses, and they didn't feel like any of them were specifically right for Buttercup. And then Robin Wright is recommended, and she shows up at the flat where they're working on it, and apparently they open the door, and she's there with her long hair and a white dress, and her hair is backlit like a halo, and Goldman looks up and goes, that's pretty much what I wrote, and they decided on her then and there, um, <laughs> and she is perfect for it. Also, Robin Wright seems to get more attractive as she ages. I don't know how that happens, but she for is... real. She should be studied. I don't know how she does it. Like, she's always been beautiful, but now she's, yeah, like, but- fierce. Yeah, yeah, like especially like in a House of Cards and whatnot. Good lord! Oh my god! Beautiful yes. woman. Um, Definitely. So, yeah, Whoopi Gold Whoopi Goldberg almost got the part. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> apparently, like they oh auditioned god. over. She'd be five, great. <laughs> yeah, apparently they auditioned over like five hundred different women for the part, which is crazy. 
Also, Carrie Ells, uh, uh, it was one of his favorite stories as a kid. So, like, he got the book yeah. from, like, just like the, the story of the kid, he, he got the book from his father when he was, like, 13 and read it. And, and he then, said he uh, always wanted to play Wesley but didn't think he'd get the chance. So that's really touching that he got to play one of his favorite characters. But, um, I, I what's his name? Matt, um, Morgan Matt Pattinson, the guy who plays Inigo, probably has the best story. Um, I don't know if you read up about that. No, tell me. Rob Reiner, he he came to Morgan and was like, I will give you any part in this film. So he read through the book and he felt deeply connected with Inigo because, because Morgan, when he was young, his father died of a heart attack when he was 50, uh, no, of cancer when he was 53. Uh, when, his, his, when his father was 53, not when Morgan was 53, but... and. To him, he just became deeply attached to this character, and so in a way, it was like him him able to get revenge against the cancer that took his father early from him. And he said, when he when he stabs stabs the count and killed him, it was like is extremely therapeutic, and a way he it was like he was able to kill the cancer that killed his father, and. Uh, yeah it's it's just beautiful like That's amazing. a lot of the like like you said a lot of the casting is just perfect i mean andre the giant perfect casting well Ooh, and i have a story ahead. about andre the giant um but i have to say yeah aniko is my favorite character and i understand that yeah that's that's beautiful but andre the giant was not the first person considered. They wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger, actually, at one point, but he had already become a big star, and the mm-hmm. studio couldn't afford him. So Andre the Giant was one of the next people in line, and he initially couldn't because he was going to get paid $5 million to do this fight in Japan that ended oh. up getting canceled. So they were good to go. And it was really cute because he said that he really liked being in the studio because he said no one looked at him like he was weird or stared at him for being you know a very big person and they just treated him like a fellow cast member and i thought another that was another fun story that i heard well i'll give i'll give two two more stories i we apparently both did a lot of research on the film um <laughs> apparently when they were filming and uh uh and um robin wright was getting cold Eric Andre would take his hand and like cover her entire head with his hand to keep her warm. Like apparently, <laughs> like his head would like cover all the way down to like her, her. His fingers would go all the way down to her eyes, and like his arm would just go down like her back, like uh, his forearm. Oh and, my like, god! Yeah, he would just he just like was there to like keep her warm and whatnot. Yeah, and an- <laughs> another amazing. story is uh, six weeks before they started shooting, Andre the Giant convinced Carrie Ells to ride on his ATV with him. Uh, while they were doing that, something <laughs> happened to the ATV, and Carrie's foot got jammed into the ATV and broke his big toe. And... Act that they had to like change up a bunch of scenes and it's it's apparently noticeable i th- in some of the early shot scenes cause I, and i think the first shot that they shot in the entire film was the fire swamp and it's noticeable in there that he's limping yeah. 
Um, also, Danny DeVito was supposed to be in this film. I yeah, put- would love that. If there was a movie that seemed made for Danny DeVito. Yeah, he was originally, he was originally, uh, he was the original choice for Vizzini. I, yeah, I, I would love that. Although, okay, so Wallace Shawn is also just perfect for the role. Mm-hmm. And, um, so El, Eloise, I'm not going to say it right this whole time. El, Elvis. Ah, oh, fuck it. Okay. <laughs> so in 2017, it was the movie's 30th anniversary, and he said people would still come up to him and quote lines, but he said Wallace Shawn had it the worst because anytime he made a small error, like dropping his keys, people would shout inconceivable to him. And that is what happens when a movie is very beloved, but I can see how that would get annoying after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, because like you said, it's become this huge cult thing, and Honestly, I love that it was such a relatively low-budget film because there's just little things that... I mean, you can tell the rodents of unusual size. <laughs> they look a little rough, but it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love during the scene where you have Wesley and Inigo Montoya doing their dueling. There's a scene where they're both doing flips mm-hmm. and where they land, you can easily see the mats under the sand and I like to think that they saw that and they're like fuck it we're keeping it in it's hilarious (laughs) I definitely think that was on purpose I like the low budget works for this film because it's like a story being read to a child and also it really I guess plays into like you know it it, kind of like I I've always felt like Princess Bride was kind of like a stage play in terms of the the film and it it just looks great for like a fairy tale type of story. And yeah, yeah I, I'm right there with you. It's a perfect low budget film. It, uh, it was worth it that they did it like that. One thing I wish they had kept. So the start of the novel, you have Buttercup living on the farm mm-hmm. and Wesley, you know, he's just doing chores because he's a servant. And at the start of the novel, they say that Buttercup is not an incredibly attractive person because she never brushes her hair and doesn't bathe very often. (laughs) And she actually asked her parents, like, what can I do? And they're like, well, you could work on your hygiene a bit and actually try. (laughs) And then um, after she's uh, in mourning for Wesley, they said that, like, you know, she comes out of the room and it's like kind of grief had made her attractive, which is messed up. But, like, the writing is just so funny. Um yeah, there's so much and more in the in the forefront of the book than there is in the movie. It's like yeah. in the movie it's like basically like 5 minutes. Here's here's Wesley, here's Buttercup. They love each other and uh that's it. Instead like it it Buttercup pretty much like hates the farm boy. <laughs> Because she doesn't mm-hmm. realize she 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 likes him, because she's like sixteen, I think. So she's like sixteen or maybe younger. I can't remember, but uh, so she just doesn't understand her feelings, and like she gets, she's like what getting angry because the other girls in the in the town are following him around, even though he never talks to anyone. Because yeah. and so she thinks the farm boy's an idiot because he he can never say anything besides as you wish and it's uh the, i like i like the build up a lot and it also brings in the count early into the story 
Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I think is, it's a little unnecessary. I mean, it's it. I guess it sort of works for, um, Buttercup. Uh, Buttercup's jealousy is the. Uh, um, I guess she's is she the sister of Prince Humperdinck? I forget who she. Who she was. It was the older lady. And she's like really interested in the farm boy and Buttercup becomes really jealous. And it's not like completely, yeah. n- there's like, there's some stuff with the book that's not completely necessary for the story. But at the same time, this story is supposed to be written like a fairy tale where like in our, our favorite fairy tale of all time, Percy Forrest. Uh, they just go into <laughs> some stupid details about random things. So I think, in a way, it was William Goldman making fun of that stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's a, the the book has a bigger buildup in the forefront, and it also there's a it tells you some th- a lot of things that will come into play later in the story. Whereas it works for the film because of its low budget and its sort of ridiculousness is it's it kind of has that that feel of um things just happen just to happen and progress the story um i'm trying to there's like there's a couple times it happens in the in in the in the movie uh one one for one that's coming to mind right now is it's later on when uh inigo and Fezzik go to see Miracle Max and they're knocking the door and he's like, I'm going to call the brute force and the, the brute squad. And, and Fezzik's like, I am the brute squad. And in the, in the yeah. book, it explains that he actually joined the brute squad In the movie. You don't know that it's just sort of, maybe he's just making a quick remark to sort of get him to let them in. There's, there's some, there's a couple of other, other moments that, but that's the one that came to my mind. One thing that the movie doesn't have at all is the zoo of death. Yeah. Which honestly is com- perfectly fine. <laughs> For some reason as a kid I remember the zoo of death being more interesting. But as an adult it was kind of I actually kind of skimmed it cuz I was getting a little annoyed by that section. <laughs> I mean it was very um sorcerer's stone going through different trials to get to you know, your end goal. But the Zoo of Death was mostly just made-up animals. Yeah. <laughs> that are intimidating. And then you're like, okay, I mean, it's cool and all, but yeah, I can definitely see why they left that out. And speaking of imaginary animals, I thought in the film it was a smart choice to change the sharks that were attacking Princess Buttercup in the water to shrieking eels. Yeah, that was cute. Because it just works with the, the the setting of everything. Like, why just have regular sharks when you could have these shrieking eels and it just fits so much better? So, that was... It makes it more fantastical. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it makes me think of the, um, the leeches from Series of Unfortunate Events. Same. I've always had the that same. The lacrimose leeches. Mm-hmm. I've always had that same thought. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, Which we can cover that at some point. <laughs> yeah. 
A couple other changes. Uh, I, I, sort, I sort of mentioned it before. Uh, the book goes into the backstories more of Inigo and Fezzik. Uh, it makes Inigo's tale even sadder <laughs> than it already is. <laughs> and yeah. it's... Uh, did the Audible have Inigo's backstory at all? or It does. Okay. Yeah. But for some reason they skipped Fezzik's, which is weird. Physics is it makes physics so much like sadder as well. Physics story is great. I'm gonna go into it. Um, Do it. So physics, you know, he's born big. It's like it's like what is it? I think it says like by the time he was like four, he was already five foot. Um, and by by the time he was eight, his dad got him to start doing boxing. But physics didn't want to hurt anyone. He d- he never wanted to hurt anyone. He didn't want to fight. And he actually was like crying, like when his dad was teaching him how to how to box, and and he was he was crying when like his dad was would told him to told him to hit him, and so at eight, a fucking kid at eight is forced to go fight grown ass adults around the country, and just like knock out these these the champions of each city so that his family can can get money, and so like he just. He's just like this gentle guy. He just he doesn't like that he's big. And he he he's all he was told his entire life was to fight and he doesn't actually want to fight. And so that's when he he ends up meeting Inigo and Inigo's the only one that ever understands him and they become friends by creating rhymes with one another and it's just <laughs> so fucking wholesome and it's the greatest bromance of any any story ever is Inigo and Fezzik. Yeah, I wish they had left that part, but Inigo's backstory, yeah. And I honestly don't mind the way the movie chose to adapt it in terms of, you know, they don't show you the whole thing. They just have him tell the story because, I mean, you don't need to see his dad getting killed and the... And it also, you know, it's harder in a film. You can't keep the surprise of discovering who his dad's killer is if you show it. Mm-hmm. You also can't keep the surprise um, of the man in black potentially, you know, not being Wesley. <laughs> I mean, I guess they could have because... Yeah, because it, it looks just like... It's like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's the farm boy's mustache right there. <laughs> um, so... I mean, I guess technically he's supposed to be his face is supposed to be completely covered with a hood, but you know, yeah, do what you can, I guess. But then, how could you see those cheekbones? Exactly, that's that's what's bringing all 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 the ladies and the men to the seats. And I love. Uh, I don't remember if this line was actually in the book, but there's this great moment where you know Wesley's facing down Fezzik. And Fezzik doesn't like people in masks. And he asks him, why do you wear it? And he goes, oh, I find them incredibly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. <laughs> Rod and I actually turn to each other and we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Uh, I, uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie isn't in the book. And it's when he defeats Fezzik. And he's like, sleep well. And I hope you dream of large women. <laughs> Yes, that was so good. And I love this whole idea of um, these three characters, Wesley and Inigo and Fezzik, have like 
a very similar code of honor, which I really love. So, you know, you have Wesley is scaling up the cliffs and and he goes like, hey, you're taking a long time and you're probably getting tired. I'm going to throw you the rope. And then he gets to the top and he's like, I'm going to let you rest. No one needs to be fighting right when they finish climbing up these cliffs. So he lets him rest and they have a nice little conversation. And yeah, like Wesley doesn't kill him. He doesn't kill Fezzik. He's just like, I just can't have you come after me. So I have to knock you out. And it was uh, really cute from the get-go. Uh, what is it that Aniko says? He says... Um... You seem like a good fellow. I hate to have to kill you. <laughs> Something like that. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, he, then, of course, Wesley returns. You seem like a good fellow. I hate to have to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Fantastic. Oh, the, ri- the dialogue's just so fucking good. That's William Goldman. Kudos to you and your way of writing dialogue. It's brilliant i agree now i think correct me if i'm wrong i might be just getting into trouble saying this in the novel Mm -hmm. you've got this whole kind of showdown so right after wesley has defeated the three men and he gets buttercup and they're having this whole argument where he's accusing her of being an unfaithful woman and you know, they're having this back and forth. I could swear in the novel he actually does slap her, but in the movie he's, like, raising his hand. He's like, it's a warning. I don't... Where I'm from, women who lie are punished or something really sexist like that, but... um. Yeah. Well, it's also playing into the whole that, pirate I thing. I think that was different. But... Yeah. Because um, I don't think... I do... I think you're right. I think in the book he does hit her. And... Because he's just... Which is... Not him being Wesley, that's him being the dreaded Pirate Roberts. Um, he's got to keep up appearances. So, And I see a parallel. So obviously, uh, if you guys don't know, the Dread Pirate Roberts is a really fantastic idea because essentially, you know, someone's name is very notorious. And basically what happened to Wesley is the Dread Pirate Roberts took over his ship when he was out trying to get a fortune so he could marry Buttercup. Mm -hmm. And I like that bit where he's talking about how every day the Dread Pirate Roberts said, have a nice night, you might die in the morning. And he's like, for three years, he kept telling me he might kill me the next day until eventually he's like, you know, I'm thinking of retiring. Why don't you become the next Dread Pirate Roberts? And it turns out that the name just gets reused so people can keep that sort of notoriety going. And um, I saw a parallel between that and Starlight because you have the Robert De Niro pirate. (laughs) I forget what the names are, Mm -hmm. but he essentially was the same thing of like having this really terrible reputation of taking no prisoners. But then he gets the two on his ship and he just does like wants to hang out with them and says that he doesn't get civilized company. Mm-hmm. So they just end up hanging out all night. Um, so I don't know if that was inspired by the Dread Pirate Roberts, but maybe. And who kno- I mean, that probably did actually happen in real life where pe- oh, people I'm just sure. took on the name of someone else in order to keep the fear up. Because really, I mean, yeah, no, like, especially back then, before before the internet, believe it or not, there was a time before the internet and social media, no one knew what people fucking looked like. So now I'm thinking, what if, like, 
a ragtag group of soldiers just wanted to take over a city and they like tell some messenger to go ahead and be like Genghis Khan is coming but it wasn't and then the whole city just gets abandoned I hope someone did that in history oh time to do research on that we'll, uh, we'll let y'all know I'm next saying week I would if uh, that actually happened in real life <laughs> oh Another fun instance of something that happened in the film. So, after the fire swamp and, uh, you know, Buttercup's leaving with Prince Humperdinck, it's, it's Wesley and the Count. And uh, Wesley's like, don't, we're, we're men of honor, don't lie to me. And you're not, you're not taking me to my ship. And so, the Count ends up knocking him out. So apparently they had to do that take a bunch of fucking times and none of them were convincing enough because the actor that was playing the Count was afraid of actually hurting Carrie Ells. And so they're like, uh, Carrie Ells was like, screw it, just go, just go for it. And so he does. And he actually knocked out Carrie Ells. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the take that we all see in the film is... And where he gets knocked out is actually Carrie Ells getting knocked out. <laughs> I also love in the scenes after he's, you know, been tortured and they get the magical revival pill. He's still kind of lumbering around and Fezzik's moving his head for him. Mm -hmm. um, yes. I like the way he acted that. And when he's pulling him, <laughs> there's a point where he's pulling him down the hallway at the palace. And it looks like he's just holding him by his shoulder, which looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> and when um, they're asking him where to go, he just kind of rocks his head in a general direction. It was just really good acting because it's very convincing that he's just having horrible control of his limbs. Um, yeah. And then Fezzik's, when he goes to help and he go take, knock that door down, he just kind of drapes Wesley on the coat of arms. <laughs> on, I mean, on the night. What am I saying? I mean, you're right. It's a coat of <laughs> arms. Well, okay. No. Yeah. No, you're right. Wait, no. The coat of arms is like the sigil. Yeah. I'm dumb. Okay. Yeah. Y'all like me. It's all good. Um, uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's. Carrie Ells kills, uh, you know, a guy coming back to life. I don't know anyone that's pulled that off better than him. Now I need to look up how many people have been revived in movies and how they acted it. Well, I want to do like a side-by-side -side comparison. I mean, for counting zombie movies, it's a lot. I mean, it's a little different. He's not a zombie. Is it? Well, maybe, I don't know I mean, if he technically died. Was he a zombie? What's, what is, what's considered a zombie? Is it just someone that comes back to life? Or is it... Someone who comes back to life but isn't really themselves and now they're attacking things. Like, what, what constitutes being a zombie? I don't know. Definitions for everything are stressing me out these days. I just learned, thanks to John Green's TikTok, that water is technically lava. And now I just don't know what anything is anymore. That sounds like bullshit. Fuck you, John Green. No, no. It, it stands to the definitions if you look into it. It's, it's, it's semantics and it's also stressful. Don't. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> bullshit. I call it bullshit. What is anything? <laughs> I'm coming at you right now, John I don't Green. fucking I'm like I'm calling it. you out. <laughs> Here right now on Novel Ideas of the Illiter. I'm calling out you and your brother's video blog bullshit and telling you that water is fucking water and lava is lava. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fight you to the end of the earth about this, John Green. 
fuck off. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, so on this episode, we've uh, alienated Audible, uh, Carrie Elves, because we're not saying his name right, and now the Vlogbrothers, great. We're going to have no, no friends. It's okay, we got Robin Wright, right? We love you. <laughs> Oh. All, all we need is the beautiful ladies that we simp on at each episode. <laughs> and that we don't weird out at all. We wouldn't be weirding them out if they listened. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. So, I'm trying to think. Other, 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 what, are there any other differences you can think of? I mean, pl- things, are, things are mostly the same. I mean, the book goes into things a little bit further. Of course, that's what happens with books. And some of the dialogue... And certain scenes go a little bit further. I know, like, another one that comes to mind is that Princess Buttercup had more dreams that were bothering her um, than yeah. just the woman coming at you saying, Boo! Boo! <laughs> and uh, so she had a couple other dreams. One of, like, I think, if I remember correctly, it's about her, her son's born, but he never wants to actually see Buttercup, and, like, he hates his mom. Something like that. Uh, huge. How so? How does the audible end? I'm curious about this. Um. Oh dear, that's a good question. I know they. It mentions a little bit about what adventures they get up to next, but it doesn't really go into massive detail. It's pretty similar to the movie where they're all kind of riding off and. It, it, that is a difference, though, where he suggests to Inigo that he be the next Red Pirate Roberts. I don't mm-hmm. remember that happening in the novel. Um, I don't dislike it. It makes sense. But, yeah, it just kind of mentions that there's future adventures and no details, though. Right. Okay. So the book, the, 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 the real book, uh, so after the... I guess technically the Princess Bride ends. It goes into uh, William Goldman talking about how there's technically a second book by S. Morgenstern called Buttercup's Baby. And (laughs) so he just goes into and he's talking to he goes into and he's talking about how he didn't really actually want to do it blah blah and the publisher was trying to force him to do it and so in the end he ended up basically only getting through one chapter of uh, or he only like remembered one chapter of buttercup's baby and so the book actually ends with the first chapter of the next book um for those that are wondering if there is another book no, there isn't. It's kind of a joke that William Goldman was playing. And uh, because how, like, these sort of fairy tale stories always have, like, a next adventure. And sort of, like, I mean, it, it gives you the sort mm-hmm. of, like, you're able to play in your head, like, ooh. And so you're able to, you're, you, the, the reader really wonders about what their next adventure would be. But um, there is, unfortunately, not another book and it actually made me sad as a kid because I wanted there to be more stories <laughs> you mean we don't get like the little mermaid part two you're right Carrie Elwes dies and goes <laughs> goes to heaven but he's got to help kids be good in order to gain his soul 
Oh, gosh. So, oh. Do you have any other specifics to discuss? Not specifics. Um, but I mean, it's sort of like in compa- comparing the two. I mean, they're both great. I do really like yeah. the conciseness of the story in the movie. And unfortunately, yeah, like I saw the movie first before I ever read the book. But they're both really great. It's, uh, I just think the book sometimes gets a little self-indulgent might be the best way to say yeah. it. I feel like William Goldman, he's like, oh, this is really funny. I want to get into this, which is funny because he also makes fun of S. Morganston for doing the same exact thing that he's doing in the book. The fake author that he's translating, he, he makes fun of that. Uh, and this is something that I don't think you got because I'm pretty sure it comes after the end of Princess The Princess Bride ends. He talks about how it was like an over thousand page book um, that he was he was uh, read transcribing and he got it down to 300 pages and whatnot and I'm like and there's like other instances when it when it cuts to him talking to the audience talking to the reader where he's like oh I cut out this section and the one that comes to my mind is the section about when Prince Humperdinck goes to meet the princess of Gilderan and she wears a bunch of hats and he makes fun of the fact that S. Morganston wrote basically like 78 pages about the different types of hat that this woman wears. And I'm like, (laughs) which is hilarious. But at the same time, there's like certain instances where I think William Goldman kind of does the same thing in the book with a, with a few, with a few parts. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's intentional because he's such a troll author. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting here listening to it thinking, did he actually transcribe someone else's folk story? <laughs> and then I had to verify that he did just make all this up. Like, he's just very witty in a... It's a dry wit, and it's great. Random way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He makes you believe that he really did this and that S. Morganston was a real person. And... It's it's a pretty brilliant way to tell a story. Cuz like I feel like it like the story probably wouldn't have done as well if it was just written just strictly as a fairy tale. Like, True. P- part of what makes it great is it's like it's a story within a story and that's what's great about the movie. Like the movie wouldn't be as great if it wasn't about like a grandfather reading it to his son. Cuz we've all been there. We've all had uh, a parent or a grandparent, hopefully all of us have had parents or grandparents or or at least an adult reading us a story at one point in our lives. And, you know, sometimes I wish I'd go back to those days. But uh, it's... Uh, and you can with Audible. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm repairing our relationship. <laughs> Audible, you can get... For, You've for, done terrible for 15. work today. $15.99 a month, you can get one credit to listen to one book. Oh God, Michael, stop! <laughs> uh, I like Audible. I mean, I, I I shit on it, but you know, whatever. 
This is what you get, um, Audible. Hire us. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, listen. <laughs> so, um, another thing I thought was really great about the whole story behind the story, I guess, is Rob Reiner had an, a deal to make this. Apparently, a lot of studios have tried to make this movie, and it didn't work yeah, out. Like over and one of right? the initial deals... Yeah, and one of the initial deals Rob Reiner had fell through, so he used his own money to continue the project because he was so dedicated Damn to it, man. which is pretty fantastic, and goddamn the dedication. Um, I can respect the fuck And out so of another thing that's interesting is, so um, Savage, who plays the grandson, and you're right, he has no name. He's just the grandson. Yeah. He kind of played, he redid this role, in a PG version, a PG thirteen version of Deadpool two that was called Once Upon a Deadpool, and Deadpool is taking the like he's the role of the narrator, and he's reading Deadpool two to Savage at bedtime and skipping over the R rated portions, which is a really great reference. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great! I haven't actually seen that version, but that's hilarious. Yeah, same, but. Uh. Yeah, seriously, all in all, fantastic story both ways. You guys should definitely, if you haven't somehow heard of this or watched it, do it. Do it, because then you have a, a bunch of great new quotes you can use in your day-to-day -day life. Exactly. Like, if, if, any, if anything else um, besides, like, the story, you know, it, you just, just do it for the quotes. Yep. And, oh, including, you want a fun quote? So you've got um, Buttercup has to marry... Prince Humperdinck, and she, there's also that great scene where I don't think this was in the novel, where she's talking to, I don't know who that was supposed to be, but the old man who's leading her to her chambers, and she's like, well, um, I, she kisses him, and he goes, what'd you do that for? And she says, well, you've always been really kind to me, and I'm probably going to kill myself when I get to my bedchambers. And the old man's like, oh, that's very nice. Hey, she kissed me. Like, doesn't isn't listening to her. That's not just any old and man. And she gets to the room. That's the king. Oh, shit, that's the king. Yeah. I was confused. Anyway, so she gets to her bedchambers, and she holds the dagger up to her heart, and Wesley's in her bed, and he goes, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world. It would be a shame to ruin yours. <laughs> great line. Great fucking line. Such a great line. I want to use that someday, <laughs> even though it'll never come across as, as well as Carrie Ells saying it. Well, and Carrie, so there were talks in 2019 about remaking the movie, which obviously annoyed a lot of people because they're like, why the fuck would you touch this? It's a gem. And Carrie Ells said, there's a shortage of perfect movies in the world. It would be a pity to damage this one. And mwah, mm -hmm. perfection. They they did do, uh, I think it was actually at the at the beginning of this pandemic, they got pretty much the entire cast back together and then added a few people to fill in the roles for anyone who's died. Unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, Andre the Giant passed away and I'm pretty sure Billy Crystal passed away, mm -hmm. the guy who played Miracle Max and, and the lady who played his wife probably did as well. And so they did a, they did like a table reading and you can listen to it somewhere on the internet. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and apparently Patton Oswalt was Vicini, which another great option for Vicini. Yeah, that is a good. Uh, 
I would say like it's it's a great option, especially like in a table reading setting, because I feel like his voice is pretty similar to um, Sean. What was his name? Sean Mitchell. Is that his name? Sean. William Sean. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, yes, I feel like they have pretty similar names. Are hard. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they have pretty similar <laughs> voices. So, yeah. Oh. And are you guys ready? So here's our Harry Potter connection. Most of this movie is shot in England. However, the Cliffs of Insanity are the Cliffs of Moor, which I'm going to brag about having gone there again. And I will remind you, it is the same location as the cave young Voldemort visited where he probably killed those kids and where Harry and Dumbledore go to find the locket. That is the Cliffs of Moor in Ireland. So what's up? Damn. You're telling me they're very pretty. You're telling me Wesley <laughs> climbed those cliffs. If if only he had gone inside. Probably not. If only he'd gone inside, he could have stopped Voldemort from coming to power. If anyone could stop Voldemort, it could be Wesley. But there he went, thinking with his dick. He's like, "Oh, I gotta get Buttercup, not stop the rise of the next Dark Lord." Yeah, but true love only comes once, maybe in a century. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know if you... I know a lot of people that have had it like seven times, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true love. <laughs> true love's, you know, the one and only. Forever and always. No, no, here's how it goes. You meet someone, you like them a lot, you swear, you know, no other relationship has been this way. Everything pales to this person, and then it ends, and you're like, eh, I wasn't that serious about them anyway. That's how people cope. <laughs> it's a pattern. <laughs> yeah. What a way to live. Uh, yeah. The trick is to never get married. Because we never get the end of the story. Wesley goes off. He's like, I'm going to go hunt some boar so we have food. And then they're like, ah, shit, the boar killed him. And she remarries someone again. And this is a continuing problem for them. Every time he doesn't come home when she expects him to, she goes off and marries another dude. Like, infinite spinoffs. <laughs> yeah, but what about the baby? Huh? Nah, someone's impotent. It's never that easy. What? There's literally at the Just because you had the audible version. Doesn't mean you can totally cut out the fucking Buttercup's baby. It's literally the name of the second book. That doesn't actually happen. You know what? It's not my fault. It's not like Audible went on there before the thing started and was like, hey, you should know. We cut out some pieces. You don't have the complete book. I didn't know. And don't rag on Audible again. Don't you You're dare. You're ragging on it right now. I'm just saying don't blame me. I'm not blaming you. Why would I blame you? <laughs> I'm, blame I'm blaming fucking Audible. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. God damn it, Audible. Don't you dare do that to a fucking story. <laughs> it's wrong. It's not right. How would you like it if I shortened you, Audible? How would you like that? <laughs> so, y'all. So, yeah. Next week. Ooh. We're doing Pride and Prejudice. Unless you have a penis and you're like, oh, Pride and Prejudice. It sounds boring. It sounds dumb. It's another period piece about a romance. Shut up. Shut the fuck up and just give it a chance. It's funny. If you thought this was funny, that's also funny. It's a different kind of funny. It's making fun of society funny, which is a very specific and necessary genre started by greats such as Voltaire with, you know, 
stretching through time as a great satirical comedy. So just fucking read it. If you don't like it, you can yell at me later. Write us an email. Put us in the same camp as Audible. I don't care. Just give it a shot. And if nothing else, you get to watch the movie and get to see Kira Knightley being her beautiful self in her first ever role. We'll get into it. She's a goddess. She started off in um, Pride and Prejudice. Right? She was like 18. It's fucking it's lucky. insane. I mean, I guess this is Robin Wright's first film, but I feel like Pride and Prejudice is such like... Is it really? A, it's, it's a, I'm pretty sure this was Robin Wright's first film. I could be wrong on that. Um, but to fucking start off with Pride and Prejudice, that's so fucking lucky. Cause, I mean, and to kill it, she kills it in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And someone might bring up the BBC version. I don't want to talk to them. I mean, okay, I can't really talk anything. I can't say anything because I haven't seen the BBC version. I'm sure it's great. But um, this movie is perfect. We'll talk about it. Yeah, but how do you feel about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? I mean, look, look, it's fine. I can't, I can't rag too much on it. People are allowed to make their own interpretations of artwork. And if we're going to rag on that, I don't know if people are aware, but there is a um, group of students from Harvard who decided to write a book that was essentially just making fun of Twilight where they keep the general plot, but it's got a twist, and <laughs> they mostly rename things to dumber things. So, essentially, there's a town called Forks where it takes place, and they call it Spoon, <laughs> and her name is Bella Swan, and they call her Belle Goose. <laughs> it's just... It's pretty great. So, you know, I'm okay with people adapting things. But what's the twist since I'm never Hey, gonna that's re- what we're all since about. I'm never going to read it. Tell me what the twist is. <laughs> Close your ears if you're listening. I never finished oh, it. It was just uh... fuck. The twist is it never comes. <laughs> oh gosh. Ugh. It's better than Edward coming to Bella and people falling in love with a child. Um, I'm looking at you, Jacob. The whole thing is dumb. Yeah, if you guys ever had to uh, experience Twilight. If you had friends like mine who really wanted to go see the movies, if you had a girlfriend who made you watch all of them, you should uh, watch these YouTube videos where it's just, uh, what's his name? Oh my god, what's happening? Robert Pattinson making fun of the script (laughs) in interviews. It's really fun. (laughs) Uh, Good old Robert. Anyways, I guess... (laughs) You know, luckily we're not doing Twilight this month. Maybe one day, but not this month. So once no, again, we're doing Pride and Prejudice next week. Read along, listen to it on listen to it on Audible. Check it out on Audible. Fourteen ninety nine a month, <laughs> whatever the Christ. fuck it is. Who knows? Anyways, uh, this is not a sponsorship. Um, Please sponsor us. Please sponsor us, and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll treat you better. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can I can whisper sweet sweet nothings about Audible to 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 everyone's ears, but we're doing Pride and Prejudice. Listen to it, watch it, love it, read it, uh, dream about it, and uh, we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye bye now. To the death. No. To the pain.
I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. It won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists. Next, your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing? will echo in your perfect ears. That is what the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish, wallowing in freakish misery forever. I think you're bluffing. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass. I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. Then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. Drop.